Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, Brittany gives us a front row seat to her long and winding path to land as a management consultant at BCG. Find out how she was disadvantaged as a first-generation college student, why she went back to get her MBA at UCLA Anderson, and how that propelled her into a much more rewarding and intellectually stimulating path she's on now. Along the way, Brittany has also found time to give back by founding suitcaseofjoy.org, a nonprofit that brings toys to children in remote villages in Africa and around the world. Please check it out and consider donating. Enjoy. All right, Brittany, thanks so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Hi, Patrick. Thank you so much for having me. So it'd be great if you could just give the listeners a short summary of your bio. Yeah, sure. So I'm a management consultant at uh, Boston Consulting Group, and um, it took me a while to get there, but uh, I work at Boston Consulting Group, management consultant. i have also a CEO and founder of uh, a nonprofit organization called Suitcase of Joy, and um, I, I started out as a French major and worked for an engineering firm Then I uh, at Floor, then I decided to get my MBA at UCLA Anderson. Uh, joined Experian in a leadership development program, which is sort of like being an internal consultant, got promoted to director of strategy, and from there decided to join Boston Consulting Group. So made uh, quite a few changes along the way. So it's about uh, a decade out of school, you'd say? Undergrad? Uh, yes. I, I graduated in 2007. Perfect. So, okay. It was a little more. Okay. So let's go all the way back. I'm glad you think I look younger. <laughs> <laughs> let's go back um, a little bit just to undergrad and understand. I'd like to know, were you... You know, when you so when you first came out of school, you were you were in engineering. You said so. I uh, I was a French major in school. I right. majored in French. I really love languages. Um, was not an engineer, and by chance, um, actually, I met someone at traffic school who worked for a company called Floor, and that's how I got my job. Um, and so I uh, I really felt grateful to get that job. I was not an engineer, and I really felt insecure about not being an engineer while at that company. Um, I joined let's, them. I let's step back, like even just sophomore year undergrad or junior year what are you thinking in terms of like your career prospects are you thinking hey i'm going to go work as a you know you're a french major were you thinking something in languages something in education what were you thinking i was thinking law i was thinking law, law. Okay. Um, so i wanted to go to law school and i was told it doesn't matter what you major in just get your undergraduate degree and then you can go to law school mm -hmm. um and and so i just chose languages because i really liked languages and i wish someone had told me back then you know, if you're tutoring calculus and taking calculus for fun, maybe you should major in business or finance or economics, but no one, no one told me that. Um, and so I just thought law and then decided I didn't want to be a lawyer and felt stuck. I, I um, so yeah. when did that, so tell me, so you're, are you going, taking any, doing any internships throughout undergrad or anything like that? No, I did not. Nothing. So, I, I, so what I, are you I, doing I, in the summer is just having a good time? <laughs> Well, I went to Pepperdine University, um, so yeah, you know, summers place. were really great. I grew up in Orange County. Um, summers I worked, actually, and I did okay. take some classes uh, at junior colleges and then, um, you know, at the university to graduate. I tried to graduate early, so I graduated in three and a half semesters. Okay. Pepperdine is not cheap, and I had to take out loans. I'm first-generation college grad graduate, and so uh, my family and I learned some things, like Mm -hmm. uh, you know, my parents did try to encourage me to get into business and I didn't really listen. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I guess was that I maybe because they were worried about the additional debt on top of undergrad, maybe law school as well. Uh, it, yeah, it, that, and they wanted me to have options. And that was something I wish I had known, um, that I do have to get a job when I graduate. And I don't think that fully registered in my 17 year old head when I went talk, to Talk to me about that. Cause I think that's really common. I think for me, when I was an undergrad, I kind of felt 
um, one of my main things was like, I really want a job because I don't want to depend on my parents anymore. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was different because you were paying your way a little bit yourself and you were taking out the debt yourself. I did. Where it wasn't, did did it not feel real to you? Do you feel like there's something around that? The student loans, the debt definitely felt real and that definitely kept me in school. Although I really liked school. I think I wanted to be a professional student. So I wanted to go to undergrad, then I wanted to go to law school. Who knows, maybe get a doctorate. Um, It never occurred to me that I was going to have to get a job, um, except other than being a lawyer. You know, I, I saw it you know, this might, might date me, but I already told you when I graduated, I saw Legally Blonde and I thought that's what I want to be. Um, and so I just thought, you know, law, no questions, um, no questions asked. And like I said, it didn't occur to me. I took business calculus for fun and was tutoring calculus, bought my first car by tutoring calculus and languages. Never occurred to me that, Hey, maybe, maybe economics or finance or business would be a good fit. And I didn't take any of those classes. Why didn't you have, was there a career center that you talked to? Was there just nobody, no good mentors early on when you were, you know, 18, 19 years old? I didn't have, I I mean, Pepperdine has a great career counselor. It was my fault that I didn't utilize it. Right. Um, And these are mistakes that I learned and made up for during my MBA program. I was a completely different person, very yeah. proactive. But I, th- I think a- it's so common. What you're saying is super common. People do not take advantage. Not that the, I mean, we kind of give career services a tough time on Wall Street Oasis because I think a lot of them don't really know how to prepare your resume for necessarily a management consulting or a banking job either. So it's not so- fair to them because they'd never been in it either. Yeah. Well, I can't speak negatively about Pepperdine's career services because I never utilized them. My head was, I'm going to go to law school. And so I don't need to worry about any of this. So, um, But I would say that UCLA Anderson, when I got the MBA, did a fantastic job preparing me. Um, But a lot of it started in my mindset. What do I want to do? I need to get a job. Hmm. And realizing that there are skills that I have that are probably better suited for being a management consultant. But I didn't even know what that was. Yeah. Um, you Fair. know, just given my, given my network. I feel like it's so comp- So many people just don't know what they don't yeah. know. And you just go through, you think, oh, law school, or, you know, you're told either medicine, law school, or engineer, or, you know, one of these things. Right. And yeah. especially for first, first generation college students who don't have the kind of the, the nuance of around what's, what the sub industries are, all that really important stuff. So, okay. So tell me a little bit about when the realization of law school wasn't going to be a reality. Was that junior year, senior year? When, when did it happen? Or even maybe when so- you graduated? So, so I was, I was a great student in that I got great grades and really took school seriously, but I didn't do what I do now and think, kind of think forward and what are the steps that I need to take? Um, and so my plan was, well, I'll graduate, I'll work for a year and then I'll go to law school. I didn't like take the LSAT during school. It just kind of like, kind of hit my head. Like I would say early Brittany is not indicative of like the, the Brittany that you see today. Um, so I, you know, graduated, spent the summer in Malibu studying for the LSAT and thought, um, I'll go to law school next year. And I hadn't even applied. And then I got a call from my mom and that was your student loans, um, need to start getting repaid in October. And so I had to find, this is, you know, September. And I had Did you to not know that? Office. Did you not know that the payments were going to start taking or? I think it never really yeah. dawned on me that it didn't seem real. I kind of thought someone would just swoop in and they'd go away magically. Hmm. Um, and that was just naivete. I was 21 and. Um, you, were, you were a young graduate. I was, yeah, I was a young graduate. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel like that hindered you in any way in terms of like speeding through college? Do you, do you look back and think, oh, maybe I should have slowed down and. No, I don't think it was the speed and it certainly wasn't the approach I took to my classes. I took them very seriously. It was the direction. And so advice I like to give now is think about the end in mind. What do you want to be? Mm-hmm. And if that's a CEO or if it's a, you know, an engineer, a doctor, like work backwards and what are the steps and skill sets that you need to get? And these are things um, I just didn't know and didn't think through. Well, you um, had law school as this kind of thing yeah, that you were going well, for but it wasn't you never really did the steps that back in terms of what you had to get done yeah and and i think something i didn't realize was when i started working for the engineering firm i was working in procurement so i would negotiate terms and conditions i worked with lawyers and i was basically writing contracts and that's when i realized oh i don't like law. and i mean i was like i was good at negotiating the terms and but it just it didn't excite me the way i thought it would and I, I fully blame the movie Legally Blonde. They, they gave this, that was a really exciting career. I mean, that's, you know, litigation versus contract law. No one talked to me about the different types of law 
and um, and the skill sets that are needed. I liked studying for the LSAT. Yeah. Um, I wonder. So- I, I wonder how much, how how many kids are steered astray by like Hollywood and like the glamour <laughs> of of different career types. Even even Wall Street. Even like Wolf of Wall Street and um, what's this? You know. Uh, the the new show Billions or whatever with the hedge fund. I used to watch movies, Patrick, and wonder how people got the jobs that they got. And because my parents are first generation high school grads, Mm -hmm. I'm the first college graduate, definitely the only person in my family to have a master's. Um, I used to look at movies and think, how do those bankers get the jobs? Like the people in the tall buildings and the suits, like you know, I work right now um, at Boston Consulting Group. We have this beautiful penthouse suite overlooking downtown LA. Mm-hmm. I used to look at buildings like that and the people that wore those suits and think, how did they get those jobs? And I had absolutely no idea how to yeah. do it. So it just, it seemed elusive to me. Yeah, I think it's interesting because it's it's almost like there needs to be, you have to get kids almost out of their heads of being just professional students and really think about their career earlier. It's it's such a, especially now, because recruiting happens even earlier than it used to. Yeah. It's like freshman and sophomore year, especially with the diversity programs, they're like sophomore year. They're, they're fully ramped. So if you don't know what management consulting is by sophomore year or investment banking by sophomore year, for a lot of those kids, it's too late. Because there's, right. enough, there's enough kids that do know <laughs> that are guided early. Right. Um, so anyway, so let's, let's talk a little bit about that first job out of school. So you're negotiating contracts, you're doing procurement, you're, what's yeah. so what, what was the trajectory? First off, how did you said you met somebody at a driving school that helped Our you get this job? School. So tell me about that. Mm-hmm. Had you started networking um, once you realized the loans were coming due? What was the, what was the kind of impetus of looking? No, it was so, I was just so naive. No, um, I, I got a job with a temp agency that's not, you know, on my resume anymore mm-hmm. um, because that call came and I needed to start working. So I got a job for a temp agency mm-hmm. uh, working for Resources Global Professionals. They're actually a consulting firm, uh, more boutique cons- consulting firm, and I was working in their payroll. I was their payroll help desk. So when people's paychecks were wrong, they called me, and that was a, a real, real wake-up to reality sort of situation for me. Um, Angry I people. In- Yeah. Um, And so it was, it was a really hard time for me, Patrick. I totaled my car on the way to work one day. Um, So I was there for about five, six months. And so now I was living with my parents, my dad or my brother are driving me to work and picking me up. And I felt like my life had ended. What happened? And I had $160,000 in student loans. Oh my gosh. Um, So I go to traffic school because of the accident. Uh, It was my fault to go to traffic school. And I met someone who worked for Fleur. And that was the first time I ever had a successful networking opportunity and I was desperate for a job and this really nice woman said you should come work for floor it was an it's an engineering procurement construction company mm-hmm. um, and they had a couple offices and uh, near me in Orange County they built power plants and oil refineries it's, it's a huge it's a huge company mm-hmm. um, and so I that's how I got my first job so I started and you were there as, for a long run I was much longer than I anticipated. So tell me um, about that transition, like how you, because you, you held several roles there. Tell me about how things progressed there and sure. when you looked internally to move, because I think it can maybe help some listeners in terms of when should you look, when should you move, when, how, you, how you actually negotiated that internally with the politics and all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I wouldn't say that necessarily my early career is the best model. I would say, you know, a, a wise person learns from the mistakes of others. And mm-hmm. so if people are listening to this, maybe be pro- more proactive. Um, so I started as an admin, an administrative assistant, just to get my foot in the door. Um, and they had told me, work as an admin for a year and then we can get you promoted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and within two months, the VP that I was, you know, working for said, enough is enough. Let's put Brittany into like a... Uh, a, they call it real department. And so I had the opportunity to join procurement and contracts. And so, so I, so I moved there. That was an internal, very quick promotion, um, mm-hmm. which I'm really grateful for. Uh, I had a really good mentor, still have a really great relationship with him that worked for him for almost the entire time that I was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I learned how to negotiate terms and conditions, negotiate price, work with, meet with all these vendors and sellers. I actually had a, um, uh, so I was working and progressing in that career in procurement um, and lost interest in law school. And so I felt a little lost in what my future direction was mm-hmm. and felt like promotion is going to be difficult for me because I'm not an engineer and engineers are highly valued in this company. So I, I, 
really didn't know what to do, but it was, you know, this is around the time of the great financial, you know, crisis. And so I just was You're thankful to have a, yeah, you're thankful to have a job, be able to pay the debt. I thought it would be a year that I was there. I was there seven years. Um, and during the financial crisis, they did have a lot of, um, you know, they had to lay off some people. Unfortunately, it was work was slower. Uh, but they sent me to Texas where we were building a power plant. So I spent almost a year in Texas wearing the hard hat, the steel toe boots. Uh, and we were working on commissioning a power plant that we had built. And so I got to see the construction finish and it was responsible for helping turn over a power plant. Mm -hmm. uh, it's sort of a big purchase for a client. You don't wow. just hand them the keys. It's, you know, system by system. And so I learned a lot. Um, I know I learned a lot more about engineering, construction, commissioning than I ever wanted to know. But I, again, I was grateful for the job. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, so you're there. You're in Texas for almost a year, and then you you come back to came California. Back, came back to California. So my boss uh, in California, he brought me back, mm -hmm. and um, when they had when they had work, and so they brought me back a little early, and I continued to work in procurement. And one day, I had this epiphany. I was walking down the hall and I knew I didn't want to go to law school anymore. Didn't know what I was going to do. Didn't feel like I could advance in the company. Uh, I had a couple of promotions, but didn't know really what I wanted or what to do. I just knew it wasn't engineering. I even thought about going back to school and getting an engineering degree, which in hindsight is, you know, that's just not how my mind works. I'm mm -hmm. more of a, a finance strategy language person. Yeah. Um, and so I had this light bulb. I was walking down the hall in the office and it just, I realized I should get an MBA. And I think before that point, Patrick, mm -hmm. it I, I honestly don't know where that thought came from because no one, I didn't know anyone that had an MBA. Mm -hmm. I didn't really know what an MBA was. It just suddenly occurred to me, that's what I need. I should study, you know, business and marketing uh, and all of these things to open up my options so that I can choose the jobs and choose the industries, choose the job function, have more control over my career. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was a major turning point for me. I went that night uh, and got a GMAT book and started studying for the GMAT that night. Uh, the very next day, I went to Pepperdine University, my alma mater, to they had an info session for their uh, MBA program. I went the very next day and I just it was suddenly I, I had years and years of no direction and suddenly I had a plan. Hmm. Uh, and, and it just uh, came to your head. It wasn't like, uh, did you, when did you, had you even heard of what an MBA was? I honestly don't know. I, I must've heard about it, but I, you would think. Maybe it was I, like on the radio, you heard some sort of like ad and like it, it's, it was back there and then it just some, for some no. reason. No one told me. Cause I, like I said, I didn't know anyone that had one. Um, your, sub, your subconscious brain was probably working on the problem of like, I don't really know where I'm going. What do I need while you're sleeping and doing all that stuff? And then suddenly just like came to your conscious. And I think yeah. I solve problems that way. You know, I, sometimes I get the answer when I'm on a, on a flight or, uh, in, in a dream or in a car. Yep. Uh, I, I think you're right. The subconscious is working on it and, um, without realizing it, I just felt lost, but it, that occurred to me and I realized that was the answer. And so I was so excited and filled with hope because I suddenly realized I had a potential and also a chance to start over. So my MBA experience was the exact opposite of my undergrad experience, except that I tried, you know, I took school seriously both times, but I didn't take the planning seriously the first time. And so it was sort of a do-over for me. So tell me how you ended up at UCLA. I have some guesses why you ended up there. I think it's one of okay. the best, best part-time programs right in the yeah, country exactly my cousin exactly. went there so tell me a little bit about um yeah tell me a little bit about just the the selection process oh. why us ucla and then specifically you froze there oh am i back am i, I back don't know now? if i froze or you froze let me see here let me see yeah so i um I wanted to go to an MBA program, and so I, my first thought was Pepperdine. They have an Irvine campus. It's my alma mater. It's a great school. And so I went to that info session, and I knew I wanted to get an MBA program. Um, so I started studying for the GMAT and wanted to get a good, uh, a good enough score to get a scholarship. Pepperdine offers a scholarship if you get a certain score. So I started studying for that, and UCLA was not on my radar because I didn't think I would get it. And so I, it's... Um, it's a quality that I had to struggle, uh, I struggled with and had to learn to recognize that I was discounting myself. And so 
I started studying for the GMAT, did much better on the GMAT than I expected. And I got into Pepperdine and I- Were you I, like uh, 700s or close? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, so, I, so then I, I get this, I get the scholarship from Pepperdine and I realized I should have applied to UCLA, but it was after the deadline for UCLA. Pepperdine's, and I didn't apply because I wanted to really get the best GMAT score and I regretted that. Um, and I decided it was my mom who encouraged me. She's like, why don't you apply anyway? You, you know, and, or wait a year. If UCLA is really your goal and you think you can get in, why don't you just wait? Um, and so I tried, I applied after the deadline and as I was filling out the application, uh, they sent out a notice saying, Hey, we've decided to extend applications by a week. Wow. And I got my application in and I got accepted. And it was, it, I would say probably one of the happiest days of my life because I realized there's this great quote by Henry Ford that one of man's or woman's greatest discoveries is to learn that he can do what he was afraid he couldn't. Mm -hmm. And I think it was such an incredible moment that I, I didn't think I was even qualified to get into Pepperdine, much less get the scholarship. And then I got into UCLA and I realized I shouldn't discount myself. I shouldn't have that, that self-doubt. So that was a, that was a big turning point for Especially me. Especially if you're diligent and you're a good student, it's very applicable to a lot of, a lot of things. Right. You know, if you can put in the work and you're a hard worker, a lot of places will want you as an employee. So, okay. So, so yeah, tell me a little bit about, so it's a three-year part-time program. So the good news of that is, did you get any financial aid with it or you just, since you were able to work, it was okay? Uh, no, well, Fleur paid, um, they would give, you know, the 52.50 a year as tuition reimbursement. And so um, I, but I didn't get any scholarships. I did get a scholarship from Pepperdine, but I decided um, I wanted to diversify, have a different school on my resume. Yeah, and also smart. UCLA really impressed me with their on-campus recruiting, um, the kind of companies that come in and, and meet with students. And I realized that was going to be my ticket to just fix all of these mistakes that I've talked about, which yeah. are embarrassing. I haven't thought about them in a while, Patrick, but I, I got to fix and start over. And I, I went to the school and I went to these recruiting events as, with a a new brand and realizing I have a clean slate. They don't know that I've made these mistakes. Now I'm going to, this is my chance to do, do it over. So, um, so I chose Anderson and, um, yeah, was, was, was really excited about that. It was a three year program. Uh, and so I was working full time at Fleur in Orange County. And then my boss was really supportive. He'd let me leave around two thirty or three on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I'd drive all the way up to, to Westwood and go to class at night, and I would get home at 11, 11.30 p.m., just exhausted, um, and it was so worth it. I never, people thought it was crazy to do the MBA, thought it was crazy to drive that commute and do it while working, and I never complained. I was so grateful because I realized this is my chance to make something out of myself. So tell me a little bit about how you talked. So your, your boss was obviously supportive, but and you said they were giving you tuition reimbursement to help support you through that. Was right. that with the expectation that you were going to go back and work full-time after the MBA or was that the expectation of like just they lowered your salary and paid you um, part of it in terms of tuition reimbursement or they just paid for it? They, so they offered the, the, I think the IRS max still is, but at the time it was the IRS maximum um, was the 5250 I think before it's taxable and so they just offered it as an investment in their employees and there was no um, awesome it was not contingent whatsoever so I'm really grateful to Floor wow. for that. Uh, so I kept my salary I you know I was making like you know, 70 grand at the time and I kept mm -hmm. that moved back in with my parents because I realized I'm never gonna be home why am I paying for a studio apartment Yep. Uh, moved back in with them. And, you know, I was like 27, 28 when I started. I was 30 when I graduated. And, you know, you feel really cool when you're living with your parents at 30, but it was <laughs> so worth it. So worth it. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. It's funny. I had a little stint uh, living with my dad when I was 30 as well. After I graduated from my MBA, I moved down to Buenos Aires for about a year in okay. Argentina running the business. And I came back and I'm like, I'm going to go back to Boston just for a little bit and then head to Eastern Europe and travel next. And um, I went and moved with my dad and he's like, he's like, man, I can't live with you. He's like, you don't do, you only do laundry once every like two weeks, three weeks. <laughs> so he would, he would just joke with me. And, um, so I lived with my dad for like, I think three or four months, which was great. Um, and then I ended up, uh, I ended up staying in Boston. I met my wife. Um, okay. so like I never ended up doing that, that whole kind of Eastern European trip. Um, well, I 
sorry, go ahead. No, it's, it's, it's interesting how like when you, when you're 30 years old, it's very different, but like almost like you revert back to your, when you're a kid too. Yeah, very much so. I made a deal with my parents. They were really supportive. They could, couldn't pay for the, uh, you know, for Pepperdine or for UCLA. Um, but they were really supportive, happy to pay the rent. But I told them I'm paying the water bill because I don't want you knocking on the door telling me my shower is too long. Um, and so that was the deal. And they supported me. Uh, you know, I did my own laundry, although my mom, I have done my own laundry for, for many years as a very independent child. Uh, but my mom actually did help me just because I was so busy. I was working and going to school and studying so much. Um, and so, yeah, it was humbling, but I don't think, I think if you don't let pride get in the way, you can make really good financial decisions. And for me, that was a good financial decision. For sure. Halfway through the, the FEMBA program, I decided to, to leave floor and I became what we call a FEMBA. So FEMBA, as you know, is the fully employed MBA. So when you're, you're fully employed and you're in a part-time program, I became what we call a FEMBA, which is fully unemployed. Um, and so basically I was a full-time student um, and I, I made that transition about halfway through the MBA program. Tell me about the um, thought process of doing that. Was it just to yeah. be able to, yeah, just go ahead. You can tell me. Yeah. So um, I learned that, and I think UCLA has slightly changed the rules because of me, um, but I learned that I could take as many electives as I wanted. It, I think there are 82 required to graduate from Anderson and I graduated with 100, maybe it was 98. Um, so I, I went over and above, but I realized when I learned that, I realized I need to double down and really um, focus on some of these subjects where I felt like I had what we call a BCG, an AFD, an area for development. I had some holes and I wanted to fix them. Um, and so I, I decided I could be scared of these subjects the rest of my life and go to subjects that were more comfortable, or I could just start taking finance and economics and really understand them. And the biggest surprise for me, Patrick, was those ended up being my favorite subjects. Mm. Uh, you know, you think back to the, the student tutoring calculus, like maybe she likes math, maybe she's going to do well in this, but no one had told me that. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I quit my job, I focused on school fully. I took, you know, I was able to arrange my schedule. So I spent less time in traffic on, at LA, which was much more pleasant experience. Um, and so that's why I decided to do, to, to, to leave my job because I knew I didn't want to stay at floor. And of course, I left on really good terms. So they're wonderful people. Um, what about I, the tuition I, reimbursement, I, though, on that last year? That's almost a $50,000 decision or more. Uh, yeah. Oh, oh, it's 5200 So it wasn't as oh. big. Of, yeah, it wasn't as big of a decision. I mean, I did, I think, leave about 10000 or, you know, 10000 Yeah. Uh, yeah, on the table. Yeah. But I... I felt like it was a calculated risk because you see I felt, Anderson part-time is only $5,200 for what? No, I'm sorry. That was floors reimbursement. Oh, okay. Okay. So you're yeah. still paying, so you're still paying a good amount though for okay. because each year. It's like what? 30, 40 at least. Right. Yeah. I think or for 50 now. Part -time it's probably 60 for the part-time. I mean, it came out to be part -time's about a little less, right? 30. It's the same. It's just spread out over three years. Got it. Okay. Uh, I think it's the same tuition. So I think it was 120, 140. So I graduated with, you know, over $120,000 in debt. Still on top of, on, how much did you have left of Pepperdine? Um, I'm trying to remember, probably 50, 40 Not or bad. Because yeah. you like reset on the debt clock back up to mm -hmm. 200 plus. Yeah. And, and I, so I, I quit my job. Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful that I lived with my parents. Mm -hmm. Um, it was a really good financial decision for me. I mean, when I graduated, I actually bought a condo, so I had some savings and, but I had all this debt, <laughs> but I really was banking on my future. I really believed if I focused at UCLA, really applied myself, I could get a really good job. And, and I did, I doubled my salary, uh, with my first job at Experian coming out of uh, my MBA program. Tell me about so, the, uh, yeah, the recruiting there and what you did, um, kind of to prep for those interviews and then specifically as an FLDP, what you were, were you looking at other FLDP programs? How did you kind of think this was the right move for you? Any other consideration of, of consulting at that point? So I did, I went to the, we had a, a consulting group. I went to all the, the consulting, you know, case workshops and went to all the consulting interviews mm -hmm. um, for internships. And I, I didn't apply because I didn't think, and same thing for full-time roles. I didn't think I was going to be qualified. And um, so I didn't apply. I went to all, I went through all the, you know, the casing, not all the hours. It's like casing. a pattern with you. So like, yeah. <laughs> lesson learned. Lesson yeah. You got to try strike yeah. out. It's good for you. Yeah. 
And um, exactly, exactly. And that's something I had had to learn. Um, mm -hmm. So I got this great offer from Experian. Um, they had this leadership development program or LDP. And it was like being an internal consultant. And I really liked the idea of it. It was in Orange County. So it's going to still be near my family, a place I wanted to live. Um, and they had a fantastic program. It was, you know, where they paired you with a mentor. They had coaching. And so everything that they talked about um, seemed like a really good fit. And what really appealed to me is this leadership development program. It was like being an internal consultant where you work on cases or projects for a few months and then you move on to something else. So you get to explore different business units at Experian as well as functionally. You could try product development, try strategy, and see where you really fit in the organization. And then out of that program, you get promoted to a director. So it, that just appealed to me so much. The work-life balance really appealed to me. And so I decided that that seemed like a better fit than consulting for me at the time. Well, it sounds good, especially if the pay, the, there's obviously not a huge bonus component on those, I'm guessing on those types of roles. It's like, you know, five to 10% or whatever it is, but the, but the base pay is pretty high, right? Coming out of MBA, it's like 150-ish. Uh, well, when I graduated a few years ago, it was like the, in 120. 120s, but um, then there's a bonus, so it's like 130. Yeah, the bonus I think was like 15, 20 percent, something yeah. like that. Okay, not bad. And a little sign-on bonus, so it wasn't. It was it was competitive with uh, what my friends were getting in consulting roles at the time. Not bad. Um, yeah. And so, did you when the the LDP is that while you're doing the part time schooling as well? So, like you were interning through after you graduated. Yeah, it was a full-time role after I graduated. Got it. And how long did that that rotation last? And how many rotate like how many different uh, different groups were you going through? Yeah, it was an eighteen-month rotation mm -hmm. um, program, and then you get a lot. Yeah. yeah, you typically people will work in that program. They'll work on maybe like six projects or cases, three months mm -hmm. at a time. Mm -hmm. um, I was really. I hit the ground running when I got there and I was very proactive. So it was a very different Brittany than the previous Brittany. And it's the Brittany I like try to identify with now. I, I realized I had made a lot of mistakes and I was going in there with a new brand. And so I went in saying, I want to work on finance. I love finance things, subjects I was scared of even at the beginning of my MBA program. And I went in and would just have the moxie to say, I like finance. I want to work on this. And so I got to work on some competitive intelligence, um, deep dive analyses where the CEO actually asked me to do another one on a similar competitor. I got to report to the C-suite, got to work on a couple of mergers and acquisitions and venture investments. I was really proactive. So you were, you did some corp dev even you were, you were helping mm -hmm. with the, like, were you doing a lot of the research in terms of potential acquisitions? Were you doing the actual fund modeling in terms of trying to understand what you should pay, valuation, all that good stuff? I got to be, so I was, my role was sort of like a program manager. And so I got to be part of a due diligence of an, an acquisition that was actually in Africa, which was really great. And so I'm very passionate about Africa, as you know, I alluded to with my, my nonprofit, we take toys to kids in Africa. Well, Experian was buying a credit union, um, and this is all public now, um, mm -hmm. in South Africa. And I got to go there That's for a couple so cool. of weeks to be part of the due diligence and so meet with the team. And it's really exciting because they're trying to expand credit to these people so they can do like me, uh, or be like me, buy a house, get, take out loans and, and get a, get a career. So I felt it was really such an incredible opportunity. And I also got be, be part of, um, what we call it, uh, PMI post-merger integration. So after we bought a company, um, in the United States, um, we, we bought clarity a couple of years ago, again, all public, I got to be part of the post-merger integration, both pre and post close. Um, preparing for that with, for, um, so I was really kind of programming. And that was, that was part of the rotation. That was one of the rotations you did. Yeah. Awesome. But I, I sought it out. Um, so HR typically would give you assignments and they only gave me my very first assignment. And after that, I sought them out because we would get to meet with all these senior VPs and C-suite people. And Why did you know you wanted to do that? Tell me what specifically kind of gave you the idea of, Hey, I wanted to do finance. Was it because you had started taking some of those classes at UCLA and that was what interested you and, and you just wanted to challenge yourself or was it something you just felt comfortable with? Yeah, I, it was, I, it was completely out of my comfort zone, but I was really interested And in what I had learned from all these mistakes that we talked through, which are very painful and embarrassing for me to talk about, but I'm being vulnerable so others can learn from me is I doubted myself and thought, you know, I didn't know how people got into those roles. And even when I saw it at Anderson, I thought, Oh, they're more prepared. And instead of just realizing that these skills can be learned, <laughs> but mm -hmm. if you don't have the confidence, you're, you're going to really be chopping yourself 
you know, cutting yourself off of your feet. And so I learned to just apply myself and to go in boldly and say, Hey, I want to work on these M&A deals. I, I got an, um, they gave me an official mentor, an official like executive coach, but I got unofficial mentors at Experian and one was a president um, and who actually a couple of them were presidents who really believed in me and they gave me these opportunities. Um, and I was, you know, I worked hard. I, I worked long hours. I was very dedicated. I was always in the office, really worked on networking. I had never, you asked me about networking coming out of undergrad. I had never networked, never occurred to me, didn't understand the concept. At Experian, I understood what networking was and I really took advantage of it and built a, a really strong, strong network there. And everyone I'd meet with, I would say, well, what are the problems that you're facing? And I found I really liked the strategy and the corp dev work. Right. But that was, so that was by taking initiative and, and, and so seeking. You, it support. sounds like uh, business school kind of maybe taught you a little bit about networking and make, opening up opportunities. Um, tell me a little bit about, it sounds like you were doing a lot of internal networking. Were you, were you to the point where you were now with the MBA under your belt, kind of starting to uh, apply network outside of, of the company as well to keep, keep that, keep things open and start exploring other companies? Definitely. Definitely. So um, as you know, I did end up leaving a experience. So I think it's always smart to have a really strong out external network. You want to have a good internal network because you want to be the person that people think of when they have, have a promotion opportunity, but externally through Anderson, we had a lot of uh, networking events career events. And I would go to those, meet the students. Um, I really took advantage of the MBA program to meet people, not just in my cohort. So not just FEMBAs, but I met full-time, I met executive MBAs. I actually set the standing UCLA record for the most international programs participated in while in the program. Because after I quit my job, I had the opportunity to go on all of these um, international programs, you know, during like spring break, winter break, summer break. Um, so I, I participated in seven, uh, plus our master's thesis that was internationally. So I set a record at, at UCLA and through well, in that. In terms of like traveling to these programs? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, cool. So I, I did. My first one was in Buenos Aires. So, um, yeah. So name all the places you went. So um, Buenos Aires. And then I, the next one was Hong Kong. Uh -huh. I did an exchange program with Seoul National University in Korea, uh, an exchange program with Cape Town University in South Africa. And by the way, I had never been to these continents before, except mm -hmm. for, except for Europe. Um, I did an exchange program in Greece, uh, an exchange, uh, and, no, I'm sorry, that was a, a UCLA immersion in Greece, an immersion program in Israel. Uh, wow. I, oh, and Vietnam. And then I did my master's thesis at UCLA. It's, um, it's a consulting project where you work with an international client. Our client was in Australia. They built skate parks. They wanted to expand to the Middle East. So I got to go to, to Melbourne to visit their headquarters, awesome. do interviews, got to go to Dubai. So, so how I did you, so were you, was this the reason debt was so high because of the, <laughs> yeah. So I think they, I think my MBA was supposed to cost 120 and I graduated with probably about 130, $140,000 yeah. in debt. But you know, I, uh, what was I going to do? Stay at home with my parents. I didn't get the internship, stay there all summer. I'm like, I might as well go travel and get these experiences. Um, and that's where I rediscovered my love for languages and travel. So you just and said something there. You didn't, you didn't get intern. You didn't get internships. Tell me about that. What do you mean? Um, so I didn't get an internship while I was at Anderson. So I, I thought I was going to be working at floor and I, I went to all the um, consulting internship networking events. You never applied. So what was your thought process around that? You're like, Hey, I'm just going to go learn more. I need to learn more. Like insecurity. you just, it's insecurity. And this is the number one thing I see when people come to me and they want to get into consulting is they know how competitive it is and they're afraid that they're not going to be enough. And let me tell you, you can be enough. These skills are learnable. They're actionable. I mean, as a consultant, you're a professional Googler. You're just solving problems and doing research. Anyone can do it if you work hard and apply yourself and i think i, think I didn't the mba was a key piece the mba was a key piece for you though don't you think oh oh it was and you studied like you yeah. probably just learned so much more in those three years than necessarily in your undergrad in your oh. undergrad that was <clears throat> at least something that was more applicable right right um, and i had a great undergrad experience but this was much more directed i was much more um, I was taking more initiative I, and UCLA did an incredible job. Their career services, 
um, were great. The workshops that they offered, they brought in all these great companies that we could meet with. So I knew what it took to get a consulting job. Um, I knew about casing. I went to the workshops. I knew how to put together a resume and a cover letter. I met with career services, people who, you know, were former consultants that they have on staff at Anderson to, and, and met with them and talked oh, through yeah. them about That's my awesome. experiences. So the coaching was great. Um, I just, I saw the other students and thought I wasn't good enough. And so that was my mistake, but I learned, I learned from that. So you're at Experian now almost three years, or, you know, you were there for almost three years. Tell me when you started kind of looking outward or, or how the opportunity with uh, BCG presented itself. Um, was it through one of these networking sessions? And then um, after that, I do want to spend a little bit of time with um, talking about Suitcase of Joy. Yeah, absolutely. I would love that. Um, so at Experian, so like I said, it was an 18-month program. I loved every second of that program and never wanted to leave. Uh, when I got promoted, I got promoted to a director of strategy. I was leading a team of data analytics, um, and I was in that role for a year and a half. And I would say the first eight months, there was a steep learning curve for me. I had never had a team reporting to me, and my team had, they, my team were, my direct reports were managers, and they had people reporting to them. Uh, and some of them were in, in other countries. And so I suddenly had this team of, I think, 10 people that I was managing. I would, I'm not a data analyst, and so that's not my strength. And so I had a lot to learn and really felt challenged. I had a, a boss who really did a great job mentoring me. And those first eight months, it was a really great learning experience. Mm -hmm. But after about that eight-month part, I felt pretty comfortable in the role. And I most people would probably be happy with that, but I got discontent because Anderson and experience these programs, they fed me this challenge and this intellectual stimulation. And I have this, I suddenly switched to this growth mindset mm. that I want to learn and I want to try. And um, so I was very aggressive. I was working really late and suddenly I had a more comfortable lifestyle. And, you know, I, I got married right as I was getting promoted to director. Mm. And so I just, you know, we didn't have kids. I, I still wanted to grow. I didn't feel like I was ready to just being an operations and strategy manager. I wanted more of a challenge. And so that's when I started looking externally. Um, but I looked internally as well. And it was a really difficult decision uh, to leave Experian because I worked with such great people and had developed such a strong brand. And but so tell me I, how you, how you, when you made that, you know, you said, okay, well, I'm, I'm not going to be happy in this director strategy role indefinitely. You, you kind of made right. that realization and said, okay, so I'm going to start looking. What were the steps you took? Was it starting to like reach out to people on LinkedIn? Was it all just through the M the MBA network you had? What was it? So MBA network, I definitely reached out on LinkedIn. I, I learned from my state mistakes. And but were you like for at this at this stage? Were you like okay, consulting? I'm ready. Yeah, that's that's I I wanted consulting or I wanted to do corp dev because that's what I really liked. Um, our corp dev team, I still say our, uh, at Ex the corp dev team at Experian, they liked me and wanted to bring me on. Same with the venture team, mm -hmm. uh, but they didn't have head, they didn't have the headcount. So that I thought about staying there, but I got offered a couple other roles, product development, because I got that experience at Experian as well. Um, and it, that didn't interest me. The operations product development didn't interest me. I wanted the corp dev or the venture and they didn't have that available. And I really felt like I wanted to get that consulting experience because I wanted to see multiple industries. I didn't want to work just in corp dev and do M&A or venture just for Experian because Experian, you know, they buy, they buy tech companies and they buy data companies. They buy companies that are synergistic with their business model, which of mm -hmm. course makes sense. But I felt like if I went and worked in private equity at BCG, um, I would get exposed to all of these different industries. And so that's where I, started looking at consulting, um, consulting roles. And, and uh, so did you start doing a lot of case prep at that point? Um, I did. Yeah. I, so I, I, I dusted off the, the case books and did some, did some case prep work. And I did a lot of that at Anderson. Um, through was the there, but was the reason you felt ready now is it that you, you had more confidence after your time and experience? It, it was it was definitely the confidence, um, Patrick. And that was it, it shows me that all along I could have gone directly into consulting, and I, but I don't regret the path that I took because I think it's really great that I learned how to navigate um, in a complex business environment in industry. I'm really grateful I got that experience, but now I wanted a new experience. I wanted a new challenge. Um, I would like to be intellectual stimulation. And I realized I had it all along. I just, I was just afraid that I, I, I was afraid of rejection. So um, tell me, yeah, so tell me, 
how did you even land the interviews? Um, you know, not having that kind of, I mean, you had the MBA, so that probably helped that network, mm -hmm. but tell me, is that how you landed the interviews with the, did you have interviews with, uh, Bain, with McKinsey, any other top, you know, Oliver Wyman, any other top consulting firms? I interviewed with a couple of consulting firms. Um, ultimately, I wanted to work for one of the top three. Mm -hmm. um, and so I got the interview with Boston Consulting Group. I did reach out to my networks. I have um, I have classmates at almost every uh, consulting, actually through Anderson, at every bank and every consulting firm, I, I know someone. And so I reached out to all my networks. But I also reached out on LinkedIn and connected with talent acquisition people and said, hey, not sending them, or I was taught, don't send them a resume. Say, mm -hmm. hey, can I spend, you know, ask you, spent five minutes talking to you about, uh, about the role at this company. And I found that opened a lot of doors. Mm -hmm. Um, so I got a, a couple of interviews and I did well in them. And, and ultimately Boston consulting group just seemed like the best fits, so, you know, obviously has a really great reputation. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and yeah, I did some case prep, uh, remembering what I had learned. I really think the most case prep work I did while at Anderson. So I had done the work. It was, was it still very kind of since you had never done management consulting? Was it still very like case heavy in the interview? Or was it a little bit more fit? Uh, it was case. It was still. It was case, case intensive. Okay, so you were kind of up against the MBAs that were kind of trying to. Grow. Yeah, MBAs and the PhDs. Yeah. Oh, fun. Yeah. All coming from all coming from the you know the top schools, but at that point I had the confidence that I can do this job. Uh, I had done it at at Experian, and so yeah. Very cool. Well, congrats on that transition. It's very exciting. Tell me a little bit about, so before we call it, I want to hear a little bit more about this suitcase of joy. What struck me was not just the, the great work you're doing, but you did it kind of post, M, post MBA, mm -hmm. where right. that's almost backwards to what people usually do. Because usually people want to talk about this on their MBA applications to help them. <laughs> oh, in a, yeah. in a jaded, in a jaded way, oftentimes when people say, "Oh, I'm working doing this nonprofit," and da -da -da, you think, "Okay, yeah, to help you get into the MBA program." That's interesting, Patrick. I never thought about it that way. No, it's completely genuine. There's no. Um, yeah, alternative. So I, so I was um, I was uh, pleasantly surprised when I saw it was post MBA. It is so something I didn't realize. You know, I talked about thinking about the end in mind and working backwards, and something I didn't do in undergrad, and I started doing it in the MBA program. And what I want to be like what I want to be when I grow up or before I retire, I always challenge people think about like what that is and what those steps are. Mm -hmm. I want to be a CEO and an investor. So I, I discovered I love private equity and venture capital. And so those are the cases I work on primarily at Boston Consulting Group. Um, and I'd love what, to be- What do you mean by that, the cases you work on? So you're, you're working um, private equity firms and VC are hiring you to do what type of work? Um, to do like do commercial due diligence and okay. strategy. On specific, on specific acquisitions? Acquisitions, yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> Pretty, it's pretty exciting work. It's pretty intense. Um, mm -hmm. But I got that experience at, at Experian. Really love it. Uh, I got kind of that investment fever. So I work on a lot of cases. Also work on uh, general strategy. I've done some ops productivity as well. Cool. Uh, but that's what really excited me. And so I, I always want to be, you know, CEO, investor, not always, but the new Brittany wanted to be a CEO, investor, and a philanthropist. And I really thought I needed to be rich to become a philanthropist and I realize it's not the case. And like a consultant, you can learn anything. There's so much research that's out there and you can figure out how to, to put together a nonprofit, which I did. Um, so as I graduated Experian, you know, I mentioned I'm first generation college grad, first person of the master's degree, pretty sure I made more money than anyone in my family at that time, doubled my salary. And it hit me that maybe I should, I could do something to give back. And while I was traveling to, you know, Brazil and the favelas and, and the townships I saw in, in South Africa that broke my heart, I realized one day, why didn't I bring toys for these kids? I would see these kids and these poverty and they'd smile at me and I have nothing to give them but a smile. And it realized that I'm not afraid to travel now. I travel, you know, solo to the Middle East and Africa, speak mm -hmm. these languages. Why don't I just take a backpack of my stuff and a suitcase full of toys for these kids. Um, and so I did this right after I graduated. Um, I was working at Experian and I went Thanksgiving week to Kenya and uh, went by myself. And I posted before I went on Facebook and Instagram and my friends gave me so many donations. I took two stuffed to the brim suitcases full of toys and books, soccer balls, school supplies, clothing, games. And I went by myself and um, I, to vill remote villages, um, as well as city slums in Nairobi, Kenya, mm -hmm. and I got addicted. And so I've gone on three trips like that where I take things 
uh, to, to these remote places in Africa. And the joy is indescribable. That's where we got the name, Suitcase of Joy. I have never been happier or felt more fulfilled in my life. And um, I, I don't want to go work for a nonprofit full time. I really like, like my job and the intellectual stimulation, but at the same time, I don't wanna wait until I retire to give back. And I realized I can, I can do something now. And when I realized I could, that's when I knew I should do something. And so, so tell me, tell me about yeah the plans for it. So is it is it something where you feel like potentially you could scale it up somehow? So it's not just you going over there. Yeah, absolutely. So it started as solo, self funded trips, my way of giving back. Um, but now we have a board. We have a five hundred one c three, which means that all donations are tax deductible. And uh, so now yes. we're yeah we're absolutely trying to scale. Uh, we were planning to go this fall on another giving trip, but now I have volunteers, I've got board members, we have people who are donating, and all donations are tax deductible. Uh, so we, um, but because of COVID, we're, we're waiting now before, before we travel. So right now is really kind of fundraising, we're trying to raise awareness, so I, I appreciate you letting me to speak about this. And, and yeah, you know- where, where can they go to learn more? Suitcase of Joy, is it dot? Yes, dot org. Suitcaseofjoy.org, and then we have you know social media pages, LinkedIn page, um, but all donations go to the children, a hundred percent. So we all administrative fees, all the you know legal filing work. I'm doing that myself, and I'm paying for that because all of it goes to the kids, and no one gets more than I do out of it because it's so it's so rewarding to see the kids. I mean, you take a soccer ball to a village in Africa, and you can make ten dollars. You can make an entire village happy, um, and it was really life changing. It's it's really rewarding, and it's really nice that I didn't have to wait to retire, to be rich and wealthy, to give back, but realize I can do that now. So, um, yeah. So if I anyone encourage, yeah, more, I encourage everybody to check it out. Suitcaseofjoy.org. Suitcaseofjoy.org. Thanks well, Patrick. And well, if Wall Street Oasis wants to be corporate sponsor, we'd love to talk to you about that. Yeah, let's talk. Um, yeah, that would be great. For sure. Well, listen, um, Brittany, this has been really insightful. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for all the words of wisdom and being vulnerable and saying all the mistakes you make. I think uh, maybe it'll help a few kids um, before they kind of go down a similar path. Or, you know, the thing is, you, you're in an incredible spot now. So congrats. And that's what matters most. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I, I love the quote by C.S. Lewis is, you're never too old to uh, set a new goal or dream a new dream. And so it's never too late. And that's something that really resonated with me. But I think these students can, or you know, professionals, whoever's listening to this podcast can learn from my mistakes and learn to take charge and believe in yourself. And you can learn these skills. It's all, it's not a magic formula they, that all of these things can be learned and taught. So cool. thank you so much for having me, Patrick. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.